Debbie Reynolds got things to say. <laughs> She's got freezer <laughs> cheese. Bread lines all the way, mother. mother. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the 46th annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest pre- Greatest performance of your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Ravian. We're keeping that in the episode. Yeah, I think so. Welcome yeah, to the Academy. Keep- <laughs> uh, we're doing a little riff on the Outbrooks' film Mother with this. You know, he plays along with that Simon and Garfunkel song. And if he was a little hipper to the heavy metal scene of the early 90s, perhaps he would have rewritten the lyrics to Glenn Danzig's Mother as well. Oh, man. Yeah, he would love. Please, please, Albert. It's not too late. Find Glenn Danzig. We're not done. We're not done with this tournament yet, but I'm pretty surprised we haven't seen like Albert Brooks accidentally go on a date with a younger woman to like a punk rock club or a metal club and just be completely offended by the yeah <laughs> by the dirt bags he's surrounded with. <laughs> yeah, this isn't Joni Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like, listen, I I love rock and roll. I love the Beach Boys. Yeah, <laughs> love. <laughs> I love Kokomo. Yeah, I'm a hip guy. No, his would be would super funny because he'd try and cl- he'd hate it, but he'd try and like argue that he was hip, regardless. It would be oh, very yeah. funny. He would just yeah, he would try to justify. Yeah, it's not in character for Albert Brooks to like Kokomo too. That's not a good. I wouldn't be playing too because he would also hate Kokomo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, he's. We know he's got a great record collection. So it's we learned. True. We learned it in Modern Romance. Yeah, <laughs> he's got great records. <laughs> and that was, and you bet your ass they filmed that at his house. Oh, yeah, yeah. All, doc- all of it feels like. So in this, in Mother, he's driving a. I think he's got another Porsche that mm-hmm. he's driving around, and every one of them just feels like whatever car. Albert Brooks currently is driving in real life is his character's car. <laughs> yeah, there is like a surprisingly uh, uh, like it does feel kind of close to home. These Well, and this is like to me, this ends the trilogy. This is like the modern romance lost in America mother. I feel like they skipped defending your life kind of like, you know, wasn't co-written by Monica Johnson. Yeah. Doesn't have that same like different, uh, t- different tone, but mother kind of brings us back to the tone that we know and love from albert brooks oh yeah 100 percent. yeah and you're right like it is like uh dating marriage parents yes the key, the key relationship well it's like a parent slash divorce yeah yeah and i guess if you go all the way back to real life it's like just like work and yeah. like you know and that it kind of thing be, yeah it could be like a tetralogy i guess yeah monica johnson co-wrote real life too didn't she yeah yeah and i mean they're taking a bite out of all of these, out of these relationships. I mean, he's not, he does not make any of it easy. He makes it all very, very funny, but none of it's easy on oh, his character God. or anyone else involved. No, like, this is like the most I've, I think, hated the Albert Brooks uh, it's like, interesting. archetypal character. Like, this was the one for me where I was like, man, like, you're not fun to be around. Well, he's, I don't a little, know how you... he's a little baby man in this one, I think. <laughs> He like also like he just like moves into his mother's house like it feels like he rocks, I mean, it's rocking out to like the doors or something in his bedroom. It's just like dog, this ain't this ain't good. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like it's interesting. Yeah, he's a little baby man who you don't want to be around. <laughs> no, yeah. He's he's a psycho in modern romance. <laughs> that is true. 
<laughs> he is the devil in my. I take that back. Well, well, here's the thing. It's so funny because, like, in modern romance, he's literally the devil. He is a bad. Like, he is like he's like one uh, knife away from being a Freddy or a Jason. In he's modern like romance, the greatest. He's the greatest bad boyfriend ever put to screen. I think in modern romance, that is true. He is like totally. But I think there's like I think it's like. There's something about um, maybe it's there's like a level of like equality or something where like people in theory could like walk away from Albert Brooks easier in a way like Debbie Reynolds can't walk away from him. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's a son. So like, yeah, she has she's stuck with this like crazy baby freak. (laughs) We'll talk we'll talk a little bit more in depth later. But do you think that there's a secret subplot where all of that stuff she has in her freezer is actually like a slow build poison? Try and kill him. <laughs> I mean that cheese. Although the the other son loves it. Yeah, the other, son, the other son's it. like, give me that dirty cheese. Like, yeah. give, me, give me that old block of cheese, man. So we're already getting into it, but this week, uh, you know, we're we're we are swimming in the depths of the 1990s ocean. Yeah, this week with uh, 1996's mother from mm-hmm. Albert Brooks and 1997's As Good As It Gets from James L. Brooks. Uh, our boys, the, the Brooks boys, uh, you the know, Brooks boys. we're yep. heading into heading into middle age here. I, I do love it, mother, when Albert Brooks goes, I just turned 40. It's like, no, you didn't. No, you did not, my man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you are. You. This is a hard 40, sir. Yeah, this is <laughs> Like, are you sure you didn't just turn 50? <laughs> like, yeah, like, no shame, dog. No shame. <laughs> no. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so he's back with Monica Johnson with Mother, 1996. Uh, in the meantime, heading into this, he his uh, his other credit he he'd already been dropping in the dropping in on the Simpsons as we all know. But uh, he made the movie The Scout, which he was the writer of, as well as the star with uh, Brendan Fraser. Monica Johnson also co-wrote that one as well. But that one was directed by Michael Ritchie, who. Michael Ritchie would be a very fascinating director for Academy Academy uh, bonus season. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking Just, like gems, like yeah. the candidate and smile and downhill racer, but also like he was kind of one of those victims of like you rocked in the seventies, but the eighties and nineties weren't as kind to you. <laughs> directors. He did Fletch too as well. Right. Yeah. And he did um, bad news bears. Probably his most. Ooh. Probably biggest hit man i would guess uh, is there like another director called whose first name is rich so we could just do a richie rich yeah richie that's a good that's Folks, a good uh <laughs> hit us up with our hit us up at the academy academy email address yeah. <laughs> with, any, with any rich suggestions <laughs> to, to uh help us with the stupid title for, yeah uh, to shoehorn into a season where we want only want to talk about one of them but we'll talk yeah. about the other one <laughs> yeah maybe buddy rich was secretly a director who knows Fame jazz drummer. Fame jazz monstrous jazz drummer. Yeah, horrid, yeah, horrid man, buddy rich. Uh, was he horrid? Was he a bad I think guy? he was like he was mean. Uh, like, no, a lot he's... of those guys are like famously like mean. Like you hear these stories about like James Brown, if somebody would miss a note, he'd notice it and just give them this death look. And he's like, oh. and the person's like, Am I gonna be fired after this show? <laughs> like he, like, he, like yeah. Even James Brown was whiplashing. Like, yeah, oh yeah, it's all whiplash. All the uh, entire like, if you're if you got like what they would call like a tight band or something like that. Yeah, you got a whiplash man in the uh, band. Who's, God, who's, yeah, I'm I'm more of a. I think fish is more, 
throwing symbols at you and shit like that. See, I'm just imagining bands like Fish being like that too, just like. Yeah, pa- no, Paige, pa- Paige McConnell just like whips uh, yeah. Trey Anastasio every single night. Yeah. <laughs> it's Tweezer, you fool! Tweezer, Tweezer. yeah. Back in, back in and then when they get it right, they realize they're all sociopaths, and like we're all on good, we're all on good grounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's okay. See, if they're all sociopaths, then it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I think that's how the United States and most business and certainly Hollywood has been running for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, the Wall Street rules. If everyone, yeah. if everyone's crazy, then no one's crazy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> if everyone's horrible and, and, and irredeemable, then we're all irredeemable. It's great. I, I believe I believe that was something Nietzsche once said. <laughs> Old Nietzsche. Old Nietzsche. But um, as usual... They're both guys working their way through the 90s. Huge success with The Simpsons on all sides. I mean, Al Brooks involved in there, too. Um, But they're, you know, if you think about it, Albert Brooks coming off of perhaps his greatest critical success in Defending Your Life. um, But still waiting for that financial breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And uh, James L. Brooks coming off of the drubbing of I'll Do Anything. Yeah, that would be. I imagine it was quite a drill. Like it's it. Yeah, because that movie is such a uh, departure of quality that it must have. It must have hurt. It's interesting because, and we'll t- talk about it momentarily. With as good as it gets, you know, we were praising so much like the the way the script works and the storytelling works so well in broadcast news and in um, terms of endearment. Terms of endearment, of course, based on a book. So we had kind of a structure but these movies are getting looser and looser in terms of like yeah what is the driving force of them like and i don't think a movie ha- i'm like i think as good as it gets i my first thought was like this is the single like highest peak of a middle brow hangout movie in which it's middle brow and it's trying to hit all of like the notes that makes America smile and cry. Yeah. But absolutely nothing really happens. In it. <laughs> like, it's just like these people just kind of like hanging out, getting to know each other, maybe becoming friends. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It is very like, even like scent of a woman has more like uh, meat on the bones. Like it truly is like, it's almost like it's shambling. This is a very shambling. Like, people just sort of like kind of walk around and life happens and and I even, mean, yeah, even yeah. like the part where he's like we gotta go on a road trip to baltimore i'm like oh it's that that kind of movie where they yeah. like, well, like then, oh they gotta go to take a drive <laughs> you know and, well, and it all feels so like this like there's no like the instigate uh, i guess it makes sense for greg kinnear to go to baltimore but like helen hunt joining the the troop and that's like uh okay like i guess she's just along for the ride yeah, yeah it's and then it kind of gets rain manny. I don't know. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's is that like, a, is that a descriptive term? Rain manny? <laughs> like, yeah, it's rain man. There's definitely like a, yeah. I mean, I guess it's not as bad as like, yeah, cause at least in this, yeah. like is OCD isn't uh, uh, just to let the audience know Jack Nicholson plays a character with OCD and like his, his OCD for uh, is seems, not, seems very realistic. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not portrayed as like a superpower. Like he's not like, uh, he's not like, uh, like, you know, counting toothpicks instantly. It's a, it's more of a mild inconvenience. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Okay. Before we get back to mother, I'm going to say this. I'm, uh, I went online and like tried to look up like if like this movie did a good job of portraying. Oh, cool. 
And like, I, yeah, I tried because I was like kind of nervous. I was like, is this, and apparently like psychology today thought it was a great portrayal. Like everything I, everything I read was like, this is in, I don't know if that's true, but I mean. It sure doesn't you know, seem like it, but I guess if there's. Uh, yeah, it was weird. It was kind of like, I, here's my theory between you and me. I think the guy who wrote that Psychology Today article, I think he remembered watching the movie in the 90s. I don't think he rewatched. <laughs> I don't think he rewatched it. I don't know. You think like James L. Brooks was like, hey, you give us a good review. Tell if it was spot on. I'll, I'll give you a five minute phone call with Jack. Yeah. Or something like that. Maybe. Because it is like, yeah, you do watch it. It's like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, t- let's talk about Mother. It's, let's it's get inter- it. Yeah. So w- this was a um, fi- another five year break. Yeah. Robert Brooks. He he definitely seems to let these ideas interestingly enough, almost on the flip side, like James L. Brooks, his movies feel like I've let all this marinate, but I don't really have anything, but I have to do something. Whereas Albert Brooks's feel like he goes to the lab and almost in like a scientific like perfection starts putting these pieces together. It just takes a long time because there mm-hmm. are these like you know comedy gems yeah he has to like really mold and put into game shape and get the bits like like the comedy stuff Uh, is so funny yeah and like yeah yeah there's like i feel like every uh albert brooks movie at least the ones he wrote with monica johnson kind of has what i would call like a sketch portion Mm -hmm. or like yeah it is just like um just a perfectly honed bit that you could almost like so funny that you could almost like release that clip without the context on SNL and it would just like yeah. work as like a sketch. And like, yeah, there's like at least like four of those in this that are yeah. like, it's a, a material. Yeah. It's just, it's so funny. And you can kind of like in that way that like good comedy is both surprising, but also exactly goes in the direction you want it to go. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's comforting, but at the same time jarring in such a fun way. So uh, get to the stats here. Directed by Albert Brooks, written by Albert Brooks and Monica Johnson, uh, starring Albert Brooks, Debbie Reynolds, Rob Morrow, and then some other folks we might bring up, you know, kind of do one scene, kind of one scene wonders. But this is a tighter cast. For the most part, it's for the most part, it's kind of a two hander between Brooks and Reynolds. But Morrow comes in with a little bit of um, adds a little spice, like uh, he went to Araxis. Yeah, he's Adds like a little he's, spice to the mix. He's the, yeah, he's the he's the spice warp of the movie. He's, yeah, like, he's the, yeah, when you see him, you're like, ah, oh, it's him. Would that be so funny, dude? It's like Paul Atreides' brothers, Rob Morrow. He's like, I know, I wanted to go with Lady Jessica. Yeah, I'm the one who likes the Gam Jabbar. Yeah, Why <laughs> I, do it, I do it all the time. It's fine for me. I like it. You got to move back into the house. <laughs> I gotta hang out with Baron Harkonnen now. This is the only podcast you'll hear with a crossover between <laughs> Denny Villeneuve's <laughs> Dune and Albert Brooks's mother. <laughs> Albert Brooks should have uh, been like the Oscar Isaac character. Oscar Isaac or um, like Josh Brolin, like the tough guy. Yeah, the like, the like, like, uh, he's just doing his I'll do anything voice. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, guys. yeah. <laughs> Uh, like, how do I do tough? I just growl a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so this one came out Christmas Day, 1996, uh, made 19 million at the box office. And this is to this day his highest grossing directorial effort. Wow. 
Wow. Uh, holds an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Consensus states, Albert Brooks' pugnacious insight is in fine form throughout Mother, a gentle showcase for the comedic curmudgeon and his sweetly acidic and a sweetly acidic Debbie Reynolds. Um, Mother has won the most awards of any film Brooks has Whoa. directed. Interesting. Uh, Brooks and Monica Johnson won the New York Film Critics Circle Award and National Society of Film Critics for Best Screenplay. Uh, Debbie Reynolds won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress in a Musical Comedy. Wow. Interestingly enough. Um, yeah, this was, um, and you can feel it when you yeah. watch this movie, that it's a little bit easier. Still, still kind of... Mm-hmm. Is tough, but it's yeah. a little bit easier to take down than some of those earlier ones. Like, like there's no scene in this where Albert Brooks is negotiating with the casino manager to get his money back. That is just pure pain. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. So yeah, there are no moments um, where uh, it's just absolutely painful to, I mean, there are moments though where like you are just like Albert, what are you doing? But uh, there's a know. lot of moments like the sporting goods scene in um modern romance like it's kind of that style of humor yeah. where it's just kind of like what's it just escalating and like people like doing bits it's it's very i mean so basically this basically the storyline is um this time around albert is john henderson successful science fiction writer less successful married man he's just finishing up his second divorce uh, yeah very Not funny doing- opening scene where he's doing that um, yep Not and he is uh flummoxed to say the least about his relationships with women um, yeah. <laughs> yeah i think that, that's a good way of putting it Flummox. he's, he's flummoxed he he's very he's in his head surprise surprise about it all so he feels um perhaps this might all come back to his relationship with his mother beatrice who's played by demi debbie reynolds mm-hmm. um so he decides the best bet to understand himself to move forward his relationships with women is to move back in with his mother and just see what kind of see what happens I guess. yeah <laughs> it is like i feel like this movie like even more than um although like i guess lost in america is a huge leap just to be like hey we're going across the country we're we're getting an rv like that's a huge thing that you have to pill you have to swallow but yeah but this movie is just kind of like um i mean maybe that's like like that's that's the that's the that's the thing you have to take when you're doing one of these Albert Brooks films is that like he'll like just have these large like and you have to just like understand that he's doing it for the bit like you shouldn't ask too many questions about why he's doing this specific thing. Well, it's like it is like kind of a hero's journey kind of storytelling in a strange way <laughs> because it is like this, he's got a quest that he has to do. Yeah, it's just his quest is kind of selfish and. And like you know, and yeah. affects no one else in the universe but himself and the people he runs over along the way. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know what? I think like what scares me about this movie is like, um, I think like like you know, for some reason, like uh, his, I feel like he's just like his character. You know, what? let me rephrase what I'm going to say. Like his character is so like one track minded in this film and he wants to achieve a certain thing and there's like a certainty to what he's doing. And, he, and you see that in obviously in modern romance and especially in lost in America, but like there's something about him, like forcing his mom to like take all the stuff out of his room 
And like, well, he doesn't force her, but like he hires a guy. Yeah, he hires a guy. <laughs> but it's still like, like, if she doesn't want you to move that stuff, like. I don't know, man. I, I think it's just like my brain for some reason. It's harder for me to like do that to my mom than it is to a. I don't know. It's weird. It, it's, it, it did bother you because you texted me about it too. You're like, why is it's not fair that he's moving his stuff back in? Yeah, I, didn't, I don't know. There's something about it. Like, I wouldn't. I think I, I have mom brain because if my mom was like, no, don't do that. I'd be like, sure, okay, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guest, so I'll sleep on the couch or whatever. I'll say this: it's like he's lucky his mom even kept all of his like tchotchkes. Yeah, from, 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 the, from the 70s and 60s. That's like, fucking insane. They all look fresh out of the box too. I know those a uh, sick 2001 poster. Yeah, awesome poster. Like cool. Yeah, his cool poster dude. collection was cool i mean like if i yeah. was 13 i'd be like cool posters man <laughs> oh 100 I'd, I'd have uh, a poster of i don't know wild wild west in my <laughs> room or <laughs> like I'd less to cool less cool poster yeah not as cool that's my version of mother i have a poster of wild wild west and space jam <laughs> but uh so as we get to know albert pays just wonderful attention once he moves into just the dynamic between his character and Debbie Reynolds, and it just gets funnier and funnier. Oh, because, it rolls. And it, like, we don't need to be those guys who just repeat jokes right. in movies or anything, but we could just guarantee you, like, they're kind of like their differences with each other, their little, like, inane arguments, the one off lines, his reactions to her, her kind of like sleeping giant reactions to him, where she plays dumb all the time. But I think she's, <laughs> she's very much like a little bit more self aware than he is. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then simultaneously, so he's got this little brother who's played by Rob Morrow, who is a successful sports agent. But we realize he's got his own mom issues as well. He gets very, very jealous that um, his older brother gets to move in, basically. <laughs> it's insane. And he acts the- like a bigger baby man even than John. <laughs> oh, it's totally nuts. Well, it's also like, it's so funny that Albert Brooks is able to like bring his brother down with him just by like him moving like... Just like his ad, the action of him moving into back into his mother's home, like ruins Rob Morrow's character. Yeah. Like it is, it's super funny. And this is like goes to like a bigger issue that one of the things that Albert Brooks really is honing in on, and I think he can only hit hone in on it because he is himself both, both the truth teller and the perpetrator of selfish boomer men <laughs> as they age. Like he's be- he. And how it's like things didn't go perfectly because he was raised in the bird. Like, look at his mom's house in Sausalito. What a nice place. Oh, it rules. What a, place, what a lovely place to grow up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Very but, like leave it to beaver. Like wonderful. But, and, and John Henderson is not like his books are dopey and he's not Stephen King. We need to make that incredibly clear. Yeah. The movie <laughs> makes it incredibly clear. It sounds like he's successful. Like he he gets books published. He you know he makes yeah. you know like he owns a house in Los Angeles. And as people, as someone who's been looking to own a property in Los Angeles, anyone who owns property in Los Angeles, I consider rich. Yeah. Oh, hundred like, percent. Like also, like yeah, like do you think like yeah, it does almost seem like this is like a just a slightly alternate reality version of Albert Brooks. Just replace yeah. like yeah, just replace sci-fi books with the. Uh, 
uh, high concept uh, semi-independent films. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that um, Albert Brooks took a little bit of time in his personal life to marry. His first and only marriage uh, was in 1997, the year after this movie came out. And he has he's had two kids since then. And also, interestingly enough, his output, once his kids started to grow, significantly declines. So he's he seems like a guy who may have found in life. So finally, this level of like, oh, I'm good. I found where to put the chair. Basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that seems great. So, and I think that that scene actually is one of the key scenes of his entire career. So there's this scene at the beginning after he's been divorced and his 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 ex-wife has gotten all of their um, all the stuff inside the house, basically, mm-hmm. except for this one chair and his phone. And he quietly moves the chair to all four corners of the room in like one take. Trying to find the perfect spot for the chair. He's increasingly dissatisfied with it until he ends up in the exact same spot. And that is the Albert Brooks character. Like complete dissatisfaction, but then also needs to recognize, oh, my life actually isn't that bad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also like, this doesn't matter. It's like (laughs) having like uh, really strong opinions about things that ultimately don't matter. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it, I mean, it's a, that's why he was such a natural fit for Curb Your Enthusiasm recently. Is yeah. That, uh, you know, I fit right in with the gang as someone who gets incredibly upset about things that minute things that don't really matter. Oh, yeah. No, I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with someone about maybe like art or like uh, just some dumb thing. And then like halfway through the conversation, I'm like, oh, I'm the asshole. I I cared too much about someone liking Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm a fucking freak. Like that's that's on me. <laughs> my, my my asshole move is I'll never forget this one night I was like talking. We were talking about records with a group of friends late in the night, having drinks at the bar. Yeah, and we were talking about LCD sound system sound of silver had mm. come out fairly recently. All of us agree we love that record. Yeah, dearly. It's a, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I just stopped the conversation. But I go. Well, you know, it's not unequivocally good. That's just our opinion that it's good. There's uh, no true good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you don't want to be that guy at the party either. Yeah, I feel like that's good. I think, you know what? I think there should be a way to, like, express opinions like that without being, like, I think you can, like, people should and be able to. Neat Nietzschean psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> Can, I think he can express that without being a monster. I think he can express. Um, it, it crushed this guy. Crushed him. He was really? like, no, come on. He's like, it's great. Yeah. It's like, it's like that part of the end of Vanilla Sky where Kurt Russell's crying. I, I'm real. I'm uh, real. <laughs> he uh, he's a figment of Tom uh, Cruise's uh, imagination. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Like, oh, poor Kurt. I'm sorry, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You're real. You're real. You're real. You're real. You're real. It's all good, man. It's all good. <laughs> But um, yeah, so their relationship builds and builds and builds mm. as we kind of get to know them. And we discover um, that his mom has like a secret talent. And like oh, lots of secrets, actually, because we should, we should also mention her horn dog friend, Charles, who shows in from San Francisco every few weeks, <laughs> who can't get enough of Debbie. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, and man. and uh, he... He wants to, he's like, can we just lock Albert Brooks in his room? He's like very, he's very adamant that he wants to make love. 
this but, this uh, this uh the silver fox wants silver to fuck. Fox. Yeah. yeah and uh, this kind of blows john's mind but then the thing that really blows his mind is that he discovers in the bedroom um a whole bunch of manuscripts that his mom wrote when she was younger and it turns out his mom was a very talented writer mm-hmm. and this idea that his mom contains these multitudes and these regrets and this like basically like very selfishly because this is something that happens to everybody realizing your parents are real people and not just mom and dad right and that they have lived lives like that involve internal struggle and ups and downs and you know and sacrifices and fail and successes and failures and that's a it's and it's quite a moment and you kind of realize that she might even be a better writer than he is yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting i think like i think it's safe to say that this is like the most well-written um female lead in an albert brooks film yeah yeah i think like like three-dimensional interest yeah yeah i think the only comparative is i think julie haggerty and um lost in america Mm -hmm. but she just her job is to match him in yes. a way, in neurotic insanity. But this, you know, Beatrice, Debbie Reynolds, like, lives a, is a three-dimensional character. I would almost say that, like, even just uh, in terms of care, because, like, the thing about a lot of these movie, uh, these Albert Brooks films is they're so, like, um, sparse in yeah. a certain way. Like, it really is usually just, like, Albert Brooks is the character, and then it's him, like, affecting the world or stuff affecting him. You know, the the exception to that is probably Defending Your Life. That movie kind of is more traditional in the sense that, like, it has a rounded out supporting cast. Yeah, it's a much bigger world. But, you know, you know, that was the entire idea behind it was it was going to be a bigger, bigger scope. Exactly. But uh, this uh, but I think like, yeah, Debbie Reynolds, like there's like a depth to her that is kind of refreshing. It's a terrific performance. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It might be one of her best performances. She, yeah. And it, man, and it's like, she did this like postcard. When was postcards from the edge? Probably like five years earlier. Was she in that? I don't know if she was in that one because this was, Oh actually, God. That was know, Shirley MacLaine. Of, Shirley um, MacLaine. My bad. Could have been my Debbie bad. Reynolds. Cause it's written by Carrie Fisher. Yeah. That's why my I brain. Yeah. All, hey, you know, if it was made in the eighties or nineties, these movies are all becoming the same damn movie. <laughs> uh, you know what? You know what? Uh, uh, Wait, wasn't it Bill Nye? Yeah. Bill Nye, he is uh, Carrie Fisher's mom, wasn't it? No, no. Was it, Bill, was it, was it Bill? Wrong again, Patrick. That's <laughs> that. Oh, I don't know what he sounds like at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. Oh, I was like, man. had to get a Connery zone there. Wrong again, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were doing a phantasm. And, oh, yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you uh, guess a good cast, boy. I am the tall man from Phantasm. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> if only. That'd be so sick. Let's just, I want to be that when I grow up. That's like. And if you, if you want to hear us do a film by film bonus season of all the Fantastic movies, let us know via email. We were up for it. <laughs> that, okay. Best, best lead of a movie ever. Just like a weird, paunchy ice cream man becoming the. An absolute king. An absolute king. I love it. Bannister. He's so cool. It rules. He's the best. Yeah. And it's like he becomes increasingly more like just it's so funny how by the end of it, he's just like a weird schlubby guy. And he's like the badass of this universe. It, it slaps. Yeah, no, I and, and he's like this big action hero, but he's 
a middle-aged balding guy with a ponytail who's an ice cream man who also you know plays a mean lead guitar <laughs> you know? god yeah what a good don don cascarelli uh man one of one of one of our faves a king just a king (laughs) so interesting little um casting tidbits on this one so albert brooks wanted a famous actress from the 1950s to play his mom Mm -hmm. in this movie he originally offered the role to nancy reagan and doris day uh doris day turned down the offer and nancy reagan was gonna do it except ron ronald reagan the president uh was suffering from alzheimer's so she wanted to take care of him and but what a weird world that would have been nancy reagan coming out of retirement and coming out of being the first lady with her (laughs) psycho cypher husband deeply insane (laughs) albert brooks is an odd man that would have been just nutty but i mean god you know what though maybe he was like the good boy i'd probably put 10 million more asses in the seats (laughs) just for that kind of like (laughs) stunt casting that is true what are like nancy reagan's i'm just now i'm on her wikipedia page looking at her like she was in uh donovan's brain talk about it like i don't know any of these films that's so wasn't, she wasn't like a i mean she wasn't like not like debbie reynolds or doris day like no not, not a gigantic star no um but then so he asked his good friend carrie fisher if he could send the script to her mother who accepted mm-hmm. the part and debbie reynolds hadn't had a starring role since the late 60s wow um and interestingly enough that was how um albert brooks got meryl streep for defending your life was at a party at Carrie Fisher's house because Meryl Streep and Carrie Fisher were like best friends. Wow. Okay. Carrie so, Fisher's kind of like the center of like, the universe. She's the nexus. She's the nexus of the Albert. nexus. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, must have a, she must have a great resonator. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. She must have a great resonator. Her and yeah. like, uh, her, <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to think of like, not, not the one person I said that one time. I know. Uh, <laughs> not someone, not someone who, yeah. You, you, yeah. you are coming. Glenn Close. Glenn Close yeah, Glenn is there. Close. Yeah. Obviously, Glenn Close. Is <laughs> I want to say Carl Stroykin, the guy who played Lurch. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, there was a uh, Glenn Close was in the big chill, and, um, you know, one of the great resonators was in that house, and the entire cast of the big chill. Oh, yeah. That was the original ending, was that they resonated and then turned oh, into a big society esque orgy. Just a giant uh, sentient fuck puddle. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cool. That it. was uh, Stuart Gordon's original pitch. <laughs> Lawrence Kazadan's, too, interestingly. <laughs> yeah, that was actually the original name for. Uh... For the big chill was sentient fuck puddle. That was <laughs> oh, God, not as you know, not as marketable. Still, Lawrence Castan is still like Hollywood man. They just are not allowing the artist to, to like really follow their muse with the yeah. film sentient fuck puddle. <laughs> yeah, as he's like yeah resonating with uh, <laughs> Shane Black and uh... <laughs> George Lucas is there. <laughs> well, a lot of people don't know ILM actually developed the first resonator. Yeah, uh, the among many um, many advances in effects, well, uh, now se- perfected by Weta. <laughs> yeah, well, the sentient fuck puddle that was actually the inspiration for Job of the Hut. That yeah. was uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, in early early designs, you know, it was it was it had to be a little more um, you know uh, practical effect, but it was yeah. they 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 got the job done. <laughs> yeah, they got the job. Yeah, exactly. And of course, um, you know, who was a sex slave to Job of the Hut? Mm. Carrie Fisher. Bring That's this true. all. 
back Man, around. Man, segue. Boy. What is it? It's like I'm in Man. the room with Doug Benson. I know. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> like, how does he do it? How does he do it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, a deeply enjoyable movie. Uh, gets the Jen Saunderson pick as her favorite Albert Brooks yeah, film, Mother. Fun film. Uh, very fun. Yeah, yeah super, super fun. Kind of just continues. He's um, five for five, if you ask yeah. me. Not five oh. for fighting, five for five. Oh, way better than five for fighting. Yeah, he yeah. crushes it. He crushes it. He's not, yeah, not a middling soft rock band. That, uh, no. Yeah. Comedic home runs is what we're talking about here. Oh, yeah. And it's just every one of these, these feel like, you, you get to feel like, they, they, like these, like Ari Aster wrote in his essay in Defending Your Life, like, not everyone knows about these, but once you are like in it, you kind of feel like you're in this like club with these like great gems that are like your own, like these special movies that like, and if you run into a fellow Albert Brooks fan, you could probably go on for hours just repeating some of the bits and kind of the moments from each of them. And I totally feel that way. Oh, 110%. Like uh, uh, there's like a rhythm to every one of his films. And um, it's almost like, this is going to be a weird uh, comparison, but it's almost like if you, you ever read like the Sherlock Holmes short stories, like my grandpa would say this thing where like he had a big book of Sherlock Holmes short stories. And once you read like half of them, you realize kind of like how the story is going to go and how it's kind of shaped and form. And you, you get like all the little idiosyncrasies. And I feel like there's a little bit of that with like an Albert Brooks film where like once you're like acquainted with his character it's so much fun just kind of to be like oh man you know this is gonna be crazy like you know albert brooks is gonna have a a, a, a mild issue with this that he's gonna like totally blow out of proportion uh and it's yeah it's fun kind of just dropping this character into uh various situations and seeing how he flummoxes through it yeah no i i agree and i i you know there's something you said about you know the steven soderbergs of the world or these kind of chameleons who every time they come out what's he going to be up like what's he going to be up to this time but I, I i do like a lot of filmmakers who someone someone say kind of repeat themselves but i yeah. think it's just kind of like digging deeper into their handful of like pet themes so like um you know we you know say like wes anderson or mm-hmm. um maybe like uh noah bombach no, yeah, and I used to say, like, someone would be like, what's your favorite Werner Herzog movie? I'm like, I don't know, all of them, man. They all kind of, like, meld yeah. together. This, like, weird, obsessive lunatic going into some jungle somewhere in the world. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and yeah there's honestly. A, there's a South Korean filmmaker named Hong Sang-soo. Oh. I'm a gigantic fan of. And he makes these, like, he makes, like, two or three movies a year. They're all, like, between 75 and 85 minutes long. They are always about a male artist, whether they're like a filmmaker or a novelist or a, or something of that extent, who gets into these like twists with relationships with women who he thinks he's smarter than, but we know by the end he's the doofus, oh, no. and he's he's gonna fall, he's gonna end up alone because she's gonna remain mysterious and completely ahead of and smell his game a mile away and he play and it's very clear that it's autobiographical because he's like a director (laughs) like it's like he's commenting on his own romantic travails and stuff like that and but he always does like he sets up the camera in the exact same spot he uses like digital zooms all the time to move the camera there's always a gigantic centerpiece scene where the characters go out to a bar and the actors are clearly really drinking and getting drunk as they're doing these like emotional moments Mm -hmm. 
and they become like this like meditation like each of them especially you watch like two or three of his movies in a row because they're shorter and you're like just kind of in the zone of his like rhythms mm-hmm. and then you know so he puts out this movie called hotel by the river two or three years ago and it opens with a handheld shot and it was like the, the earth the axis shifted because he, he's Oh, it was like, why is he doing that? He's never done that before. <laughs> and it's just so like neat and exciting to watch like the tiny adjustments in like an artist's creative. Just like you see it in Albert Brooks's work too. Like he's not making gigantic, like outside of maybe defending your life. These other four, he's he's just kind of playing with the levels a right. little bit. And like, where does he want it to land? Is he going to end it in kind of a nastier way or is he going to end it in a sweeter way? You know, and kind of the, what, what's he deciding to kind of like riff on? Yeah. Like not every, yeah, not every, uh, I feel like with film, like there's like this expectation where you have to recreate yourself every two or three years. And it's like, yeah. And you know, not every band has to be Mr. Bungle. They don't have to like have like a totally new sound every moment. And I think that's like, well, sometimes you got to be just be satisfied when you're the Ramones. And yeah, you have 30 albums that sound exactly the same, but guess what? All 30 of them are awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? exactly. They, the quality's there. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like the yeah. one song they wrote is good. So it's yeah. like, let's keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, like a- ACDC kind of does the same thing, but it's like, man, you hear an ACDC song on the radio, you're like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> like, uh, really quickly, can I ask you a question? Do you hear like dog barking on your end? No. Okay, good. Because I can, there, like, my upstairs neighbor's dog is like uh, going wild. It is like driving me. Uh, I am going uh, to parody that dog. I think um, <laughs> this might be a good transition, and you might want to leave it in because you might want to throw that dog down the garbage chute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did see he's gonna. I did watch that movie, and I was like, ah, this is rela- this character's relatable all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. he's relatable all of a sudden. Yeah, nope, I, not I'm as on- much of, not as squirrely as you thought. <laughs> yeah, I'm on his side now. No, although, man, that is like what an opening. We what should a- talk about two um, taglines on the posters here as we move on. Mother's okay. tagline: No one misunderstands you better Uh oh good one but (laughs) as good as it gets and i think this one's even better brace yourself for melvin jesus (laughs) ain't that the truth truth. (laughs) brace yourself for melvin oh man all right so we're moving on a mother gets an academy academy recommendation albert brooks five for five you know it's not five for fighting he's got it going on yeah he Uh, he has a hopefully he has a hundred years to live like and hopefully somebody like I don't know Netflix is like hey do you want to make a movie again yeah you know so maybe he doesn't care maybe he's just like done he seems Honestly, like the kind of guy who also might be completely at peace just like any good whatever I got money yeah <laughs> it's like happy. I got a family you know I do the- I'll drop in and do weird supporting roles yeah sure honest- I, I'm directing modern romance for a moment. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! It's, <laughs> I the, guy, do it's it. the guy from Five for Fighting. <laughs> yeah, it's Mister Fighting himself. It's fighting. It's John Fighting. <laughs> ah, get out of here, John. Bruce Fighting is here. <laughs> Bruce Fighting. Get out of here, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> is there? This, they had another one, right? I don't even remember. Hey, who knows? Who knows? But um, who knows? We're, we're catching up now with uh, James L. Brooks. Um, yeah. As we all know from last episode, he's he you know he t- he took a few punches. 
mm-hmm. for maybe for the first time in his career, he took a few punches um, on all do anything. Not a not a success by yeah. any means. No, uh, critically, financially, it just yeah, nothing happened. Uh, so in the meantime, so we have to we're going to jump from all do anything in ninety four to ninety sevens as good as it gets. Uh, big nineteen ninety six. He had his name on two films, two very important films from two different ways. Uh, as a producer, uh, Jerry Maguire, which massive mega, you know, we'll, we'll probably cover it at some point. It sounds like it's right. It is right down the Academy Academy wheelhouse kind of movie. Yeah, 100%. And the debut film from Wes Anderson, uh, Bought a Rocket, mm-hmm. uh, which he and Polly Platt shepherded them in. And I don't know if you noticed in the credits, as good as it gets, um, associate producer Owen Wilson. In the uh, and it was apparently Owen Wilson's actual first released credit. <laughs> like, uh, how did and um, yeah, you know, Brooks guess... loved. He called them the boys, <laughs> and uh, he loved he loved Wes and the two Wilson brothers <laughs> dearly. Interesting. Yeah, I forget that. Like in the beginning of Owen Wilson's career, he had like you know screenplays written. Like he was way more. It's kind of like. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, like they were writing and stuff. Which I, yeah, I think it's both. It's more lucrative to be a movie star. Perhaps. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he just has the he has the chops for it. He he's a he's a fine comedic actor. I'm a big fan, and we will actually be uh, revisiting him in a few weeks. With how do you know? Mm. He returns to the James L. Brooks fold. Oh so, man. <laughs> but yeah, so he starts working on as good as it gets. Timeline here. I'll Do Anything came out in 94, as good as it gets, 97. So actually, for James L. Brooks, at least, not a huge number of years between the films. I have a feeling he was kind of, um, I don't think he gets successful, I'd say. Like, I, if, 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 critic, if I had made All Do Anything and the critics came after me, I would probably like dig a hole and live there for six years. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, totally. came after him for that one. <laughs> like, I would be depressed. Uh, it seems like when you're as successful as James L. Brooks, you know, you get up and you take another swing. And it'll be as, um, as good as it gets. As we mentioned before, directed, produced, and written by James L. Brooks, written with uh, Mark Andrus, and it sounds like Mark Andrus wrote the original script, and James L. Brooks kind of came in and um, tweaked it yep. a bit, as you know these big time writer directors do. There, there are some Brooksian elements. There uh, definitely are. Yeah, uh, budgeted at fifty million, made three hundred and fourteen million dollars. Insane! That's insane. Imagine that today. A movie about nothing centered on an asshole and $300 million that every one of your parents loved, like truly loved this movie. Oh, this is like, and people like have warm feelings about this movie. They think really it's do. like a crowd ple Like this is, this was this a crowd pleaser. Major, major crowd pleaser. Um, stars, of course, Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. Helen Hunt, Greg Kinnear, Cuba Gooding Jr., Skeet Ulrich. Shirley Knight, and a variety of fascinating cameo appearances from people like Lawrence Kasdan, Shane Black, Harold Ramis, like all sorts of like people, like probably like writing buddies of James L. Brooks. This is the only, you know, and I mean, Harold Ramis, of course, you know, put in a lot of good comedic performances, but 
and Shane Black is in Predator, which is cool. But um, yeah. but Lawrence Kasdan, not known as an actor by any means, but he's in it. Oh yeah, I mean, and even like uh, there's like so many like I saw the guy from The Wire, the guy who plays uh, Barksdale, like Wood Harris is in it for a little bit. Missy- Maya Rudolph is in it briefly. It's just yeah, all these like like uh, kind of names that will become bigger it's a weird there's this is definitely one of those uh uh oh it's that guy movies yeah 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 and um it it, it's yeah it's just this is and it made um as we said it made 314 million dollars uh has an 85 percent rotten tomatoes consensus james l brooks and jack nicholson doing what they do best Combine smart dialogue and flawless acting to squeeze fresh entertainment value out of the romantic comedy genre. This film was nominated for seven Academy Awards. Best Original Score, Best Film Editing, Best Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor Greg Kinnear, Best Actress Helen Hunt, Best Actor Jack Nicholson, and Best Picture. It won two Jack Nicholson won for Best Actor. Helen Hunt won for Best Actress. Um, as I mentioned last episode, this was my first watch on As Good As It Gets. Wow. Somehow I missed this in 1997. See, I've watched this movie maybe like three times on TNT when I was like 12 or like 11. Like for some reason I had these like memories of like, ah, oh, this is a classic and I'd watch this with mom and dad. Yeah, no, it, it has like Shawshank Redemption, like TNT dad Oh, watch kind of vibes. Yeah. Um, like, feels very like, yeah, like <laughs> moderate democratic fathers love this movie. Oh, yeah. This is a centrist movie. This yeah, is 100%. This is like we're reconciling. Like, look, we can get the evil racist man to shake hands with the the tortured gay artist and look they're friends now it's great mm. and maybe and maybe the torch and maybe the homophobic racist uh shut in yeah he, he might deserve love too with just a hard-working brooklyn single mom yeah maybe yeah hey even even who's maybe, got, a, <laughs> got a mysterious case of asthma it yeah. comes from the same disease as uh, danny collins granddaughter <laughs> proto Danny Collins. This is the missing link between Danny Collins and Scent of a Woman. Yeah. yeah, I I would say that the guy who did Danny Collins probably thinks this is a um, really good movie. Oh, man. I would, because this seems like a definite influence on Danny. Yeah. Our our old friend Danny Collins. Yeah. And and it is like, man, we got to tell them how this movie starts, because it is like out the gate. Yeah, so Jack Nicholson is he is uh he's checking it up <laughs> it is such a he's just this is a scent of a woman role this is like yeah. i'm 100 like this is just him doing his like firing in all cylinders and his like move this is the kind of movie star i am yeah in a way and and i actually though i don't believe i think you need someone as charming and mm-hmm. fun as jack nicholson to play this role or else yeah. it gets grim really really fast he gets away with it he can get yeah. away with some of it like maybe not all not, of it nowadays but at least yeah if, yeah depending on your yeah we'll, we'll talk we'll, we'll i would talk like to it. talk about on some of the broader social issues of the film in a moment <laughs> here, in a moment here but jack plays melvin udall he's a best-selling romance novelist who has obsessive compulsive disorder mm-hmm. um and he's also misanthropic homophobic racist and the movie opens with him trying to lure a lovely little dog. Yeah. 
pick up the dog and promptly drop them down the garbage chute of his uh, Manhattan apartment. A uh, wonderful way to get to know Melvin and kind of all of Melvin's, yes. <laughs> Melvin's style. This, this is shtick. It is like, because I, I, didn't, I didn't remember that part watching it. And seeing that, I was like, Jesus Christ. Like it, it was very funny too because I was watching it with with the baby, and she saw the close up of the dog, and you could see her eyes like light up. And I'm like, I know because that's how regular people behave when they see a cute dog. Like, yeah, by the way, wasn't a great movie dogs. I forgot how good know, this dog terrific, is. Terrific movie dog, no <laughs> like, question about that. Yeah, and just plopped into a dumpster. So, in the dumpster. <laughs> we we quickly find out that the dog belongs to his neighbor, who's yeah. um, Greg Kinnear, who's playing Simon. Mm-hmm. who is a uh, painter mm-hmm. you know interesting thing about movie painters whenever you see what they're doing you're like i don't know if you're that interesting yeah. <laughs> like an artist like he's an interesting man and yeah all that kind no, of i feel you yeah, like the actual art itself is like uh, like after you paint skeet ulrich you're like this is like hotel art my man <laughs> yeah oh 100 percent. like yeah it's it doesn't have like uh yeah they need to meet joe black so they can get some good art yeah, yeah, like have Joe Black bring over a jar of peanut butter and we can talk yeah. this over a little bit. Talk this over, yeah, go to Anthony Hopkins' crazy mansion where he has just all these insane, that is like... Hello, I, I think th- Brad Pitt would show up and want to beat up Skeet Ulrich for stealing some of his shtick from the that 90s. Is- <laughs> <laughs> that, doesn't he say that in the movie? What was yeah. like, oh, I'm like Brad Pitt or whatever. Yeah, also, it's, like- it's- where is there just like a street corner where local toughs but who are also models yeah and may, maybe gigolos like it's very weird very. oh it's bizarre you're bringing yeah. it all back it's it was like a fever dream that entire sequence yeah one of them looked like the fucking bill paxton in the original terminator like one that. of them was uh jamie kennedy we oh, forgot to mention yeah. he's he's in the mix uh, but, man, one of his greatest performances. So, and it's Simon's dog, and he loves the dog dearly. And yeah, and dog as survives. we know, um, Simon's my favorite character yeah. in the movie. Nice, he, he's wonderful. He's, actually, he's got a great arc. Yeah, he's empathetic. Like you yeah. care, and he's also like uh, played with like a vulnerability that uh, it takes Jack Nicholson a very long time to get to that point for his character. Like he eventually shows it too, but like I feel like yeah, Greg Kinnear is such an open. Uh, has such an open heart throughout this film and he's just tender in a way that uh, you, you need someone like him in the movie. He's like uh, he, he kind of makes... For, yeah. for, 19, for 1997 he plays the character with great empathy and respect yeah. and he There's does like, not delve into any stereotypical kind mm-hmm. of things that in 1997 was a very popular choice if you were playing a character yeah like this it could have been it could have been way more it could have been broad (laughs) yeah broad and offensive but in turn he's actually a real guy yeah like a full-formed real guy in this movie and a big credit to Kinnear for pulling that out of the script and really like there's just so there's a lot of beauty to what he's doing his like the things he cares about you can tell he really really cares about when he gets hurt you really feel he's hurt like it's it's pretty it's especially when facing like nicholson's character who's quite broad all things considered um and even helen hunt's character is pretty oh she's broad too and then like well and cuba getting jr's character is like it's funny because cuba getting jr's character isn't necessarily like you know offensive in the traditional sense 
it's just like in just just weird. It's just a weird. It's just ever. It's just a weird. Although I guess it, maybe it is offensive in the traditional sense. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's, so, let's just, yeah. <laughs> so simultaneously, as Melvin is doing battle with Simon over their little Simon's wonderful little dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. I would like Simon Melvin. You got to move out, man. You can't throw people's pets down the. That's no, like that's, that's, that's not, on you, Melvin. That's not Simon's fault. And uh, so simultaneously, Melvin, because he has to do, you know, he's on a very specific schedule he goes to eat an insane breakfast yeah it's <laughs> huge a huge insane breakfast <laughs> fucking shrek breakfast crazy at, uh, at frankie and johnny's diner <laughs> where, <Yeah>. where... <laughs> it is it's the same fucking same place michelle pfeiffer's still working there somewhere. yeah michelle pfeiffer and al pacino's in the kitchen like yeah. between stickball games uh, <laughs> yeah, Hector uh, Elizondo is screaming at someone. Hector Elizondo passed on management to Shane Black. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, you bet Netta is pissed. She thought she thought she thought it was going to be her time to shine. This was going to no. become Netta's diner. Shane Black is just trying to hoist like obscure noir novels on her. <laughs> like this could make a movie. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and where we meet the third character, though, at this diner, um, working Michelle Pfeiffer shift, Helen Hunt as Carol. Yeah. <laughs> this is like I feel like this trope has kind of like died out. Like the 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 working mom at the diner. Like you don't yeah. see that as much in films anymore, which is kind of a shame. Well, I mean, because they don't make movies about the working class. That is true. That is like And yeah. they can't where they can't afford to live in Brooklyn anyway. That is God grim. Grim! Yeah, hell! Grim. We're in hell. Grim. Yeah. yeah. Grim. It's grim. <laughs> yeah, everything's bad. <laughs> that that diner is now an urban outfitters, by the way. <laughs> Netta, oh, poor Netta. Netta lives yeah. in like Yonkers now. She's like, well, I mean, sadly, Netta was forgotten about by Cuomo. <laughs> yeah, uh, ju- hashtag justice for Netta. Yeah, I know. Jeez. Um, but yeah, so, and we would say like, okay, so Jack has met Carol. The like a lot of women in the movies we review, unfortunately, endlessly patient. Mm. <laughs> Just. Another uh, character, great movie, character trait. Another character within five minutes should have just walked away from this yeah, asshole. <laughs> honestly, it is uh, her arc is insane, and she she won best, and she's like, okay, look, it's she's a, good, a great she, actor. She's good performance. She's a great performance, and and you know what? The character is written insane. It's not Helen Hunt, and she plays it as real as you can play a character. Because yeah. like yeah, it's like oh, she's pulling more. At, she's making this, making it sing because yeah. it's. A, I don't think it's there on the page no. in the same way. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> also, um, just to let it be known, not nominated this year. Pam Greer, Jackie Brown came out the same year, and uh, we all know who should who should have. Yeah, who should have won that Academy Fucked Award? Up. Yeah, that's <laughs> like just, justice for Jackie Brown. Justice, yeah, for, justice Netta, for Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh God, yeah, uh, it's Jackie like, Brown, uh, unequ- a more enjoyable movie than as good as it gets. Oh yeah, like oh God, like in, I'd rather I want to see we the the world's weirdest beard on Samuel Jackson any yeah. day of the week before. Uh, yeah, because like yeah, you're introduced to Melvin in this restaurant, and he like the first thing he says to Helen Hunt too is like. 
there there's Jews at my table. It's like they uh got Peter Jenkinson who bless his heart. Like I love both of Peter. them on house. Both of yeah. both of them went on to be on the television series House. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the other ladies, the oh my <laughs> god. That's, yeah. That is so funny. That is so funny. A show I was uh hey, this is a t- network television corner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Show I was inordinately kind of obsessed with when it was on the air. A show that I don't think I would have like before it was on cared about a show like that or after it was on. But when it was on, I was like, yeah, I really think I found this house guy just endlessly fascinating. (laughs) This guy's a bit of a jerk, but I can't. He's a damn genius. Yeah, (laughs) he's irascible, but it's relatable. Yeah. Uh, Oddly enough, I was looking at Greg Kinnear's filmography and he did a TV show like two years later called Rake, which is he was like a genius. <laughs> he was like a genius as well, but he was an asshole. It was like, I oh, love- it was just a house spinoff, basically. Yeah, I love all these. Well, there's another one called like Bull, too. It was that one and Rain Wilson did one where he was like, um, oh, so that's that's right like- after the office. What was it called? It's not Baxter. It's, it's uh- like, boy, he's a dick, but. You gotta love him. Gotta love the baby. Oh. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. We can we can pull this up. This is important. But it, there is like a massive trope, though, of like the esteemed supporting actor getting a job on television, like their first leading role. They're always a genius who's a bit of a prick, mm-hmm. but they're so good at their job that it doesn't matter. Backstrom. The one that Rain Wilson was on, Backstrom. Yeah, Backstrom. Backstrom. <laughs> He was Detective Everett Backstrom. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Jen just said in the background, sure. <laughs> here we go. I just want to really quickly, uh, Rain Wilson as Detective Lieutenant Everett Backstrom, head of the Special Crimes Unit. Prior to the beginning of the series, Backstrom was demoted to traffic following his racially yep. insensitive outburst oh, after God. he caught the murderer of six Native Americans. You're like a regular Melvin Udall. Yeah, Baxter, you can't Udall. It's two thousand, it's two thousand fifteen, bro. You can't Udall. You know, you can't Udall, bro. That's not endearing anymore. That's not endearing. It's it's just racist now. Yeah, you're racist. It's no longer endearing. I guess we could get it. I guess we could get into that aspect of this movie. Is um. It's really, it's difficult because they're, I I don't like referring to movies as dated. I I like the idea of like, they're like these like time capsules of a moment or something like that. And I don't like to sit, like to criticize a movie just because it like doesn't hold up to our times or whatever. I think it's try and look at it in the moment or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it is a very interesting thing that this Udall character even in 1997, which doesn't seem that long ago, I guess it kind of yeah. is. But um, you know, he's introduced. And the part where he is anti-Semitic too is like he's already been homophobic and racist. Oh, hugely! Like he's like, <laughs> like it's kind of nuts. And I remember watching that part when I was a kid and being like, "That's kind of fun." It's weird because I'm Jewish too. I'm Jewish, but like, but I remember watching that and not having a problem with it. It's so weird. Like back, even like at the just times have changed. I don't know. And I, 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 and I don't, I actually think, I don't, I think people can get better. Oh, people can change. Like, and some people don't think that, some people believe. And, you know, frankly, 
if you've been <laughs> abused by the Melvin Udalls of the world over and over again, I don't see forgiveness. I oh, think forgiveness yeah. is hard to get to as 100%. well. 100%. Like, yeah, no, like, like, uh, you know, like, yeah, yeah, 100 I agree with you. That's all I have to say. <laughs> but uh, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, but it's interesting. Yeah. It is interesting to see that he gets like a full redemption. Yeah, I think it's like, I think for me, it's not even the full redemption. Because I'm fine with redemption. I think like, the, I because I, I want there, like there, sh- there should be like, rede- like people should be able to, especially when like, it's just you're an asshole. If that's like your big sin is you're just an ass. And, he, and he's a horrible person in this movie. Like, uh, don't get me wrong. Like there is a part of me, and there is a part of me too, that's like, just for like, Throwing a dog down a trash chute, like you know, yeah. that's almost enough to be irredeemable for me. Just because that's like a horrible, you know, the dog survives, everything's fine. But uh, but uh, uh, yeah. But I think it's just it, it is kind of crazy that he gets like not only does he get the girl, but the girl is half his age. It is like well, I think that the, yeah, I think the the romance was the thing I bought the least. Yeah, that is like movie. insane. Yeah, it's totally yeah nuts. There was a part where um, at the end where he kind of goes to her apartment after Greg Kinnear kind of is like, "You got to go get the girl," and now Greg Kinnear has gone from being a wonderfully like um, fully dimensional character to being Jack Nicholson's sidekick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by that point, which is you know. I, we want to see Greg Kinnear find love. We don't care about Jack, really. <laughs> that is honestly like that'd be so much more interesting because, like, what happens in this movie to Greg Kinnear? Um, uh, you know, we spoil stuff all the time at this point. Just assume yeah, we're go always for go for it. We're like, uh, like he gets like so he has Skeet Ulrich come in as one of his like he's like the street urchin basically and he gets him you know he's taken off the street by like, one uh, of like he's he's street street urchin slash male model yeah yeah just a street hunk like one that you know you know how new york just has these like roaming street hunks he's like one of the roaming street hunks yeah the the roving gangs of street hunks <laughs> yeah just 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 uh, yeah, roaming street himbo skeetle yeah. rich like and um you know, he uh, gets a model job from uh, 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 from almost called Simon as good as it gets. Uh, Mr. As good as it gets himself, Simon. Um, he gets like a, you know, he becomes his like muse or whatever for a few mo- uh, for a few scenes. But then uh, uh, it turns out the other street hunks. Uh, led it's a ruse. By, it's a yeah, damn ruse. It's a, a classic street hunk ruse. Uh, yeah. An SHR. Jeez, uh, happens uh, all the time. Oh, man, I can't tell the other day. Uh, Freaking uh, Lucas Hedges and uh, three other up and coming actors came into my house and just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> beat the crap out of you. Yeah, I wasn't even drawing them. They just <laughs> well, no, you invited Lucas Hedges over to collaborate on a piano concerto. He yeah, plays, I... he plays violin, classical violin, and yeah. turned out it was a big ruse. <laughs> you were getting robbed at the same yeah. time. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. I saw Pete Davidson in the corner going yo. And oh, I was no. like, oh no, this isn't good. Oh boy. Uh, man. Our, our, our street hunks have gone down in quality if it's Lucas Hedges and Pete Davidson. I know. Yeah, I well, they're, you know, <laughs> they're fine. They're fine. In, in Biden's America? No, oh, no, I don't know. In, Biden, in Biden's America. Remember back when Clinton was in office and uh, the hunks were really uh, hunks? Yeah, boy, the high times of the 90s when the hunks were, when the hunks were hunks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the thing. We're compl- no, where, where did my hunks go? 
<laughs> well, you could practically though picture Trump saying that the guys they're not hugs anymore. <laughs> yeah, where are the himbos? There's no himbos anymore. You know, we're Stallone. We don't have any Stallones. Yeah, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet, take HGH. Yeah. My <laughs> God. Well, anyway. <laughs> Uh, I don't even know. So, so they robbed Greg Kinnear, and actually, quite scary. They they really beat him up. It's and brutal. It's pretty. It's surprisingly brutal, and this leads to Jack Nicholson with no other options. First, and kind of an example of maybe how sad and lonely Simon's life is. That Jack Nicholson is the only option to watch the dog while Greg Kinnear recovers, and the dog is the key to Jack Nicholson's. Um, transformation to being a guy who can accept love and people mm-hmm. into his life and i think that that gets to something that i think the message of the movie about this like human connection is important and you can find friendship anywhere and kind of surrogate families is all really neat stuff mm-hmm. and i think that that's why the movie's sweet and it feels like it works and you kind of like care about where these people end up at the end but I think the way that it goes about like showing that is a bit surfacy and easy in the shifts. And one thing I did want to bring up at the end when he goes to get the girl, um, her mom, who's played by Shirley Knight, comes out and says, what's all this racket? Uh, Shirley yeah. Knight was a year older than Jack Nicholson. I was, I, <laughs> just, I looked that up too. Well, yeah. and also here's a fun fact too. You know that <laughs> Betty White was offered the Shirley Knight role? <laughs> and said, no, it, thanks. Yeah. She was like, nope, nope, nope. Uh-uh. Well, it, it was because they, uh, threw the, she didn't like the dog being mistreated. That was her one reason. She was oh, like, really? Yeah. She was like, uh, no, good on Betty White. Yeah. She was like, nah, nah, nah. I want the no, no dog. Yeah. But it, it should be. In a just world, it would be a movie about Shirley Knight and Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that the ending should have been about, like, I think Carol, Helen Hunt, should have said, I will be your friend. Yes! That's totally fine! But be your friend. And then they could still go out for pastries. Yes! You could could legit have the exact same movie, almost. It would have been really sweet, actually, for just... Like the door isn't completely open to him to have like this great romance. It's just the door is open to him to have a connection. That and that like it isn't this gigantic change and this gigantic shift in his persona. It's just a incremental one that he's a little bit better by the yeah. time the movie's over. It, and you know, and I think they do a good job of like I think Jack Nicholson plays uh, the plays that character enough where like like he is like a deeply wounded broken man and there is like this implication throughout the film that like and they do a good job of kind of like easing you into like making it believable that this person can like if given the right uh like stimulations i guess given the right stimulations but also discovers that they want to take those steps no matter how hard they are like that's that's good stuff it's yeah. just it's it is difficult and it's a and i i have a feeling a lot of modern audiences if you haven't seen this movie before would just be taken out by the first 20 minutes it just wouldn't it's just irredeemable oh yeah basically. totally he's like he like he says some like just like nasty stuff, nasty he's stuff. Like, yeah he's like nasty not a stuff. yeah he is like not a good guy and it is like this thing where like uh 
Yeah, it could be like it's it's yeah, it's believably a tough pill for a bunch of people to swallow. And yet yeah. this movie has like a, a a crazy like I feel like people whenever I've heard about this movie in conversation, yep. people are usually like, "Oh, I love that movie." Yeah, that they find it very moving. And I think it's just kind of at that time in 97 when you want because it is all people who saw it in 97, I think. Mm-hmm. And like among the 314 million dollars that it made i mean just this was a massive success and um i have a feeling like they're they thought of melvin's things as interesting character quirks rather than damnable human traits (laughs) that is honestly like a very astute i think this is like yeah this is back when like you could like position racism as almost like a wacky like yeah get a load of this kooky oddball he's a racist or like yeah he's a yeah it's like uh they're you know bad at bowling <laughs> you know exactly it's comparable to that or something yeah well, i mean yeah and it's like it's like all in the family type stuff where like yeah, yeah he's oh, like oh one percent yeah i mean it's still like and that gets to another thought i had thank you for bringing that up um <laughs> it's very sitcom-y yes. the entire thing is very um, yeah. It just and I think it also sitcommy in that it's situational rather than having like an overarching plot mm-hmm. or story that's driving it. It's just these characters kind of like oh, here's the episode where they drive to Baltimore together. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's like yeah, here's the episode where they drive the uh, the uh, the Baltimore together. Here's the episode where Melvin befriends the dog. Mm-hmm. Like it's very like um, situational and. Uh, yeah, there's no, it feels like there really is not an overarching plot. Which kind of goes back to all the anything, frankly. Yeah. Um, and is disappointing in the wake of Terms of Endearment and Broadcast News. It's such a bummer because Terms of Endearment is does such a good, because you can tell he's going for that Terms of Endearment heartstring pull yep. too. And there are times where it works. I think like mm-hmm. yeah. um, everything involving Simon pretty much uh pretty much yeah yeah even like the part like oh man the part where um greg kinnear is talking about his father and like his father giving him like sweaty like his hand is sweaty with the cash and his father is like paying him to leave it's so like you really feel for him that's like a tear jerky that, that almost... like little moments where like jack nicholson does up the room for him yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's really sweet. Like a very sweet moment of like, and you almost don't need any dialogue there. And they do some dialogue after that kind of hurts. It. It's just like uh, this yeah. idea like Jack has learned enough. He doesn't know how to say it yet, but he like can show that that's, he cares about someone. That's like actually my favorite moments with that character is when he does, he does that like in the, he does stuff like that in the coffee shop too, where like, like, um, or the Frankie, Jack, where like he um, doesn't know what to say and it's all just facial. Yeah. And him just trying to like, you know, uh oh, he's hoping that uh Helen will take it the proper is it her character named Julie? I can't remember. Carol. Carol, Carol, God, I can't even remember. Frankie. Frankie. It's Netta, it's Netta. When Netta. uh yeah, when uh Netta takes the no, but when uh her when Helen uh you know he's hoping that she will like respond to 
his action the way that uh, that is beneficial. Like, because he 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 seems truly lost as someone who's trying to. He doesn't know. He just he truly doesn't have the skills to communicate properly. And it's, yeah, and I think that I think that that might be the the issue. With the, one of the issues with the film is that there's so many good elements. I, I I was feeling like more complicated emotions about this movie than pretty much anyone I think we've watched over mm-hmm. the course of our run because it's like the good stuff really works in this movie but there's just it's got some hang-ups that just kind of just don't get it over the top for me yeah i'm i'm with you i'm 100 percent with you it is kind of um and it's a bummer because like i wanted this movie to be like a pleasant like uh like oh it's as good as i remember it being it's as good as it gets and like it is like a and um it's an interesting i do agree like to the extent that it is like this you know piece of uh history like it is like this like interesting um you know snap this is this interesting uh you know piece of this interesting artifact that demonstrates what was like popular in the late 90s like it is like fun from that like anthropological perspective like this yeah is, yeah this is like this is what audiences craved i guess the true crowd pleaser and it's i think it's just um it's also we should note it's 140 minutes long Again, like terms of endearment earns that because it's like 30 years in the life of these two women. And then it, you know, the last 30 minutes or so of the movie is like high wire tragedy is happening. And I mean, I guess if like, yeah, I don't know, like, because terms of endearment is kind of a hangout movie until she announces she has cancer and then it takes it up, like totally ratchet up the entire thing. Insane. Yeah, it goes. Yeah. But I, I was also thinking about the end of broadcast news, though, where they nobody ends up together. Mm-hmm. And that's like exactly what we were talking about at the end of this. It's like nobody should end up together. They should just have peace with each other. Yes. That would be so great if this movie ended with like a 10 years later. Or so, and it's just like it's the gang like sitting together at the diner, like talking yeah. about their lives with each other. Like, She's working there, but her and Melvin are not together. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's just kind of and how's the boy? They all care about how her boy's doing, you know, and just kind of slice of life kind of oh, thing man. rather than like, yeah, just the, and kind of the romantic stuff just. And I think it, I mean, a huge part of it does come like Melvin's how how redeemable you think Melvin should be. And then also the fact that Jack Nicholson is so good. He's such a charismatic actor, but he's just way too old yeah. to be any any level of believable love interest. With Helen Hunt, it's beyond weird. It's just a weird. Uh, it is just like, a, and it's like, I guess it is like part of it too. It's just like it's Jack Nicholson, and so I think people like think he can get away. You know, I don't. You know. need it. You need a giant star to pull yes. off this kind of thing. So I got a question for you. Someone who is Helen Hunt is a, was born in the, I think mid sixties. Or early mid to early sixties. Who is an age appropriate oh. movie star mm. who you think could have played Melvin with the same kind of panache that Jack Nicholson brings to it, but in a more believable romantic kind of way? That's difficult. That is oh. a that's hard. I'm trying to think because Jack Nicholson is a he's a very he can get away with a lot of stuff because he's like a bit of a scoundrel. He has that energy. He's he's a lovable scoundrel. I don't know. Um... So Jen just piped in Jeff Bridges. Maybe. Um, and I got two picks. Okay, hit me. So the first one I thought of, and this guy's a little bit 
grimmer. We might have a darker film. <laughs> um, but he is age appropriate. Is uh, Sean Penn? I thought would be very interesting in the part. I think that would either be really good or one of a the disaster. worst movies. Yeah, like yeah, I am a Sam total level. disaster. Just like yeah. total, like yeah, because he would like, uh, uh, man. And then my other guy, Academy Academy favorite, not as big of a movie star, but I think he's got it. Mm-hmm. Bill Paxton. Hmm. He would be a lot of fun in this role. I think. I think he would actually bring like a level of vulnerability that would be fascinating because he can like mm-hmm. be a slime ball and then on the uh, a uh, a turn of a dime or whatever like he can just like uh, go from slime ball to oh please I'll do whatever you want he'll do like the he'll he'll recreate the MacGruber I'll fuck you wherever scene yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean which uh, I guess you know the MacGruber that scene is the I got a little dick it's pathetic that it's is a hundred percent yeah that's so funny hey. Bill Paxton's influence felt everywhere. Yep, he he, he continues. Yeah, continues everywhere. He's a king and a legend. He resonates. Uh, he resonates through the universe. Another um, great. Another guy just popped in my head, which is a really weird one. Uh, Steve Buscemi. That would be <laughs> fun. I would love to watch that movie. Much 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 tinier film. Yeah, they probably are not getting fifty million dollars on their budget for Steve no. Buscemi to be looking up to the clouds with his sunglasses on. Brace yourself for Steve. <laughs> yeah, brace yourself for Steve. Uh, I'm trying to think of like how old is. I feel like Robin Williams might even be too old. Yeah, he's, but he would have been seventy this uh, year if he was alive. Okay, so maybe he's like ten years because like I, I feel like Robin Williams maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean he, Jack Nicholson's old enough to be her dad. Oh, it's yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, that Jack Nicholson is and is like, yeah, it's crazy that they're it's a I don't even understand why the movie thinks it's a good idea. But uh, I'm trying to need you. You need you need somebody like him. though. It's the problem. It's like, need like to put it over the top. You need a big gun. Mm -hmm. But well, and you need. Yeah. And he's just like he hates. He's like the one actor in that time that has that like specific energy. That can, there's just not a lot. Of, you know what? Here's a crazy one. Uh, and it would be different. Like, you'd have to do some stuff differently. Denzel Washington. That's interesting. I would be like a weird, yeah. it'd be like a very obviously, but you could. Oh, duh, Nicolas Cage. Oh, Nicolas Cage. Duh, yeah. I'm a yeah. ding dong. Yeah. There, there we go. There there Nicolas Cage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Done. done. And, he, and I actually think in 97, Cage was a big enough star. Yeah. To get this part. Come here. <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he got his Oscar from this would be his second Oscar. Man. Yeah. And you yep. can see done. his face doing that. Like that. Like the, the, the classic yep. up in the sky. Yeah. With the sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, we mentioned before we have an email address. Somebody get us James L. Brooks's email. We're yes. going to do a little bit of the Christopher Plummer move here. And we're going to be some t- <laughs> we're going to CGI Nicolas Cage in to yes. as good as it gets. We're going oh. to get 26 years later. We're getting it right. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the, this is the, yeah, this is our Francis Ford Coppola. This is our Godfather part three. Yep. <laughs> it's going to have an this intro. The, as good as it gets Coda, the death of Melvin Udall. <laughs> It should just end with him dying. It should, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like he learns. No, he he learns his lesson that he shouldn't be racist and homophobic, and then he's promptly blasted by two taxi cabs like Joe Black. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then and then Melvin wakes up with like you know the devil or the Grim Reaper in his body, and the Grim Reaper's like 
fuck, I'm stuck in this body? Yeah, he goes to visit uh, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> we're, we're about the same age, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the idea of the Grim Reaper just doing that every time he wants peanut butter. Like, he's just like, oh, no, man, I got a like, taste for it. I got a taste of the peanut butter. Gotta, I'm a junkie. Yeah, I got to, like, got to find another guy to get hit by two cars. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I wanted to know, too, that um, interesting thing, I guess that um, Brooks and uh, Nicholson really clashed on set on this one really? and they had actually had to shut down production so they could like leave the room and talk it over because they were they the tone of melvin was very difficult to reach that was in a satisfying way to both guys wow and by 97 i mean who's saying no to jack nicholson and who's saying no to james l brooks so they're button heads in a yeah, big way <laughs> that is like a, i'd love to see the version uh what's that movie or that tv show feud like i'd love to see yeah. feud nicholson versus james l brooks <laughs> there would be two viewers patrick and don yeah 100 percent. hey you know what that uh, works for me works for me so uh this came out in 97 pretty big year uh, obviously that was the year of titanic also goodwill hunting LA Confidential, uh, Jackie Brown, uh, Boogie Nights, um, the uh, and Donnie Brasco, uh, old Academy Academy favorite. So a lot of top of the line movies came out this year. It was and Brooks was not nominated for best director. Mm-hmm. I mean, much like Broadcast News, it's like his direction is so it kind of feels a little invisible. Although Broadcast News, I thought he did. I thought he was pretty. Pretty top of the line. This one, little little every man, yeah, <laughs> but, little, but no yeah. nobody was beating our uh, the big dog Jim Cameron this year anyway mm-hmm. for that job mm-hmm. for that for that one. But yeah, it's it's an interesting movie. Um, I don't think I think again I I think that its heart is really in the right place. Mm-hmm. I think it's trying to say something very sweet. I think that just over time. A lot of the stuff that it saw as quirky or perhaps interesting or provocative is now just a little long in the tooth. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm with you. And to the point of probably if you showed this to someone who was, you know, a city dwelling 22 year old right now who'd never heard of it. Yeah, uh, they probably would legitimately hate this movie oh yeah no my sister uh, would turn this movie off probably after the dog is thrown in the <laughs> thrown in the trash like my, yeah yeah my uh my millennial zoomer cusp sister yeah i think um you know i mean because those facts along with the it's relatively plotless and 140 minutes long yeah and that is like yeah, it's meandering. It's a very like, and so like, if you're gonna have a movie like this where it's meandering and sort of shapeless, uh, you have to have characters that are uh, you want to hang out with and learn about. And, uh, and yeah, partially. Yeah. You may have wanted to do that in 1997, but in 2021, it a little <laughs> bit more difficult. Yeah, it's a bit more, <laughs> a bit more of it's, a slog. It's better than I'll do anything. Oh, a hundred percent. It's more like- enjoyable than I'll do anything. Mm-hmm. And um, a bit more of a success, more, much, much closer to that James L. Brooks style that we've mm-hmm. come to know. Uh, but I, I, I think it's, un- you know, I don't. It, again, I, I'm not a huge fan of judging things. You know, saying something stinks because they were not ahead of the curve. moral or moral or social curve 30 right. years prior um when it was actually probably ahead of the moral and social curve in 1997 
Oh, yeah. Well, when you think about, like, God, like, I could 100% see this being, like, an eye-opener for a couple of folks back then. I could, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's like, uh, and, you know, maybe there's people, and I think the thing, too, is back in the late 90s, I think people were more, maybe people were more uh, open about uh, relating to a Melvin Udall type. And maybe that was like, you know, maybe the fact that the Melvin Udall type uh, is able to cohabitate and ultimately, you know, maybe that uh, maybe that was like a good thing. I don't know. But it's also just like, I think the thing too nowadays is people like, yeah, no one nowadays would even dare to like associate themselves with like a Melvin. Yeah, he'd just be a social pariah. Yeah, yeah. And he would have been booted from that restaurant. Oh, 100 Day one. <laughs> I'd love to see a version of this movie where this, the 2021, as good as it gets, where like, yeah, just the, he's just isolated and alone because of his horrible actions. But that's Not also isolated. like a sad thing because this guy would have been ostracized, just been a human being, like, left to rot. And maybe yeah. he deserved it, maybe he didn't, but it's also like... Oh, it's totally grim. It's No, it's grim. I'm with you. It's like this thing where, like... um. And there's a way to make a movie with a Melvin and well, have he, him. Would, he, he also would have lost his uh, novelist contract. Oh, 100%. Yeah, Melvin's yeah. <laughs> Melvin Udall is canceled. Yeah, Melvin Udall <laughs> would have been canceled. Yeah, boy, I grew up with Melvin Udall, but no more. No more. No more. Yeah, no yeah. more. Yeah. Lost respect for Melvin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, Melvin, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Melvin was on uh, InfoWars. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he started, he's ranting with Alex Jones and Joe Rogan about social justice warriors. Uh-oh. Oh, dude, you bet, oh, Mel- no. you bet Melvin's not taking that vaccine. Yeah, you no. bet. If he doesn't oh, like pills, he's right. not taking you're, the vaccine. You're right. Uh, Melvin is definitely anti-vax. There's no <laughs> question about that. Yeah, he could, play, he could play a game of ball with Aaron Rodgers. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Um... I'm going to call it um, good with reservations. It's good as it gets with asterisks with reservations. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I, I, I enjoyed watching it. it yeah. But there were, um, you know, it wasn't like, you know, when, we, when I watched, finally watched Titanic or Avatar, I was like, oh, I like these. These are good. Like, these are cool. Uh, yeah. Doug, you know, it, it didn't, like, reach those heights of kind of, like, a movie I missed coming back to that everyone saw you know i i think it's it's fine yeah same here it is kind of like a bummer because like i said like yeah when i was a kid i liked this although like i liked it i wasn't like you know the number one as good as i feel like somehow i've been trumpeting myself as like the number one as good as it gets Mm -hmm. fan or something as a child like in that yeah i I see the 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 poster of jack nicholson grinning his ass off right behind (laughs) you you got a poster up in your bedroom (laughs) that is true i I do have that tattooed on my forehead because you moved back in with your mom and you had to get all the stuff out from the garage and one of those things wasn't as good as it gets poster that you got on the wall yeah no that's like i had yeah you know i just i had a date with someone and she uh confused uh she confused uh, John Updike with Buster Keaton. You, you, you and... big, li- you big leagued her about novelists. And yeah. that was it. <laughs> you fucking idiot. Yeah, no. Charlie Chaplin, eat shit. You dog. <laughs> you are a dumb asshole, and you're paying for dinner. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna drive 
15 miles to the Santa Monica Pier so I can scream. <laughs> you cur. <laughs> You're paying for so we're back to mother. Apparently, we've gone full circle. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, another another fun week with these guys, though. I mean, yeah. these, there's like fun like, stuff to talk about. They're never they're boring. Enjoyable. Yeah, they're never boring. You can all do anything. Never boring. Yeah, uh, horrifying. Yeah, like I'll, I'll do anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, a mess, but you know, yeah, it, not, it, watchable, sort yeah. of. No, not really. <laughs> you know, that was the, really, that yeah. one. That was the bad one. That was the one bad one. We it's not a, not not the strongest film, but. But um, next week, we're heading into, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s with our boys uh, jumping ahead to 1999's The Muse from Albert Brooks, which I have never seen, just seen the poster for, and 2004's Spanglish from James L. Brooks, which I have seen, and we get to talk more Sandler, which everybody knows, Academy Academy favorite topic, Adam oh, yeah. Sandler. Oh, man, by the way, both, both of the text chain and on the show, we oh, talk yeah. about Adam Sandler a lot. Do yourself a favor, go on Twitter, look up Adam Sandler Pickle. Like, yeah, uh, it's a he's, treat. He's doing it again. Huey uh, Halloween is up to no good. The king is back. The king, the king is back. The I'll king never the king. left. The king never left. I'll hail the king. Yeah, so we get to talk Sandler again, first time since Jack and Jill. Uh, we, you know, let's see it. We're not talking about Sandler's best movies. We're not talking uh, Punch Drunk Lover, Uncut Gems, or even Billy Madison here. So we got yeah. some of the uh, lesser Sandler pictures. But uh, yeah, excited cut. to um, see The Muse for the first time and excited yeah. to revisit Spanglish for the first time since 2004. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know what? Uh, there's a good sandwich in that movie. I know that much. Yep, there is a sandwich. Uh, it's a. I, I'm curious. I remember not loving it, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's a maybe it's a maybe it's a real gem, diamond oh, in the man. rough gem. But yeah, yeah, we're getting up there with the boys. Uh, no longer boys. <laughs> you know, both, yeah. both guys well into middle age. Oh yeah, boys to men. They've boys to they've, boys to men. Yeah, the Brooks boys. But yeah, next week we got the Muse. We got Spanglish as we. Heading to the, I mean, sadly, the tail end of Brooks Brooks. So we'll see y'all next week. Uh, goodbye. Mother, tell your children not to walk my way. Tell your children not to hear my words What they mean, what they say Mother Mother Can you keep them in the dark for a while? Can you 